This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Today we're discussing the joy of losing your religion. Our passage comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Thanks for joining us, and we hope that you receive a blessing from today's message. And welcome to worship with West Concord Baptist Church. If you're watching this on Sunday morning, then it is Palm Sunday as we think back upon the cross of Jesus Christ. And so good morning and happy Palm Sunday. If you're not watching this on Sunday, hello, it's all still good. We're going to continue this Palm Sunday talking about the spirit of joy set free. And yes, we're going to focus on the Christ, on the cross rather, but we're going to do it in a different way. We're going to continue in the book of Philippians, and we're going to look at joy in the sense of losing your religion. Now, I know when people talk about losing their religion, they talk about something that's, uh, they get frustrated. Maybe, maybe someone is losing their religion in a sense through all this pandemic swirl. You get so mad, you want to do something mean and angry and maybe even sinful, and you call it losing your religion. Well, we don't want to do that, but I do want to talk to you about the joy of losing your religion as a believer in Jesus Christ or to become a believer in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me, and we're going to start in verse 1, but we're going to talk about losing your religion, but gaining a relationship with the crucified, buried, and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer as we start, and then we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. Yesterday's gone, and none of us are guaranteed a tomorrow. We thank you for today. We thank you for right now. Even in the midst of the difficulty we're experiencing, we thank you for all the good things that we do have. And Lord, help us to focus on those. The most important, help us to focus on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to realize that through Him, no matter what goes on in this world, we have a home in heaven with Him. And so, Father, give us the strength to hang on. Give us the joy we need to endure. And, Father, we look forward to gathering together again when all of this is over. Until then, Father, bless us as we open your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talk about losing your religion. What does that have to do with joy? Well, let me first of all define what it means to lose your religion or what religion means, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding as far as that's concerned. The term religion comes from the Latin word religio. It means to bind back or to bind up. And it has the original meaning of having obligations to the gods. It was a word invented long before Christianity ever came around. But by definition, religion is how humans try their very best to be in touch with the supreme and divine being. Most of the time, this effort is extended by humans, and it involves the uh, effort of humans to be pleasing and acceptable before God, and also to signify the essence of life on earth. In a nutshell, religion means to try to please God. Religion has do's and don'ts and lists of laws that we think we have to try to keep and live by in order to somehow curry favor with the almighty, transcendent, perfect God. And that's what religion means. But I want to tell you this morning that religion has nothing to do with Christianity. And Christianity and its basic elements really has nothing to do with religion. So that's why I encourage you this morning, and I believe Paul is encouraging us, that if we're going to really have joy in our lives, and that joy literally means that innermost 
sense of comfort, satisfaction, purposeness, peace. And that sense of joy that Paul is going to talk about really involves getting rid of all the headache and heartache that comes from religion and developing and finding a relationship with Jesus Christ. So take your Bibles with me and go to Philippians chapter 3 as we begin in verse 1. He's going to give us in this passage four things we can do to enjoy Christ and to lose our religion. First of all, he tells us here that we should rejoice in the Lord. Now, again, he's talking about joy, joy, rejoicing, gladness. All of these are themes in the book of Philippians. And he begins this second passage here as we've already gone through the humility aspect and the patterns of, of living. He's going to now say, listen, because of all that, based of all, on all of that, rejoice in the Lord. Look what he says in chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, finally, my brethren. Now, let me stop there. Uh, if you've read already through the book of Philippians, you realize he says finally twice. Sounds like a long-winded Baptist preacher. But when he says finally here, he's really just tying up the previous material. He's not tying up the letter. He's just tying up the previous material and sort of bringing it all under one umbrella. And he says, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For to me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. In other words, Paul has shared these truths with the Philippians before. And, and, he's, and he's telling them again, and they might think this is redundant. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to hammer it into them. Dr. Mark Cambron, co-founder of the Florida Bible College down in South Florida, used to say, repetition is theological mucilage. Mucilage is a big word for glue. In other words, repetition makes things stick. The more we hear it, the more we get it. And so he says, for me to write the same things to you is, is safe for you. So he tells them, rejoice in the Lord. And that's the first thing. He wants us to rejoice in the Lord. Why in the Lord? We rejoice in the Lord because Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. Listen, we got a lot going on. We've got a lot of issues, got a lot of problems. People are losing their jobs. People are getting sick. Uh, we can't leave our house. We can't go anywhere. We can't even come and gather for church. It's a very difficult time. We have a lot to be upset about. But I'm going to tell you, we got one thing to have joy over. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the one thing that you and I need to be focused on. And that is we have joy in the Lord. Because understand this, through faith in Jesus Christ, one day we will be in heaven with Him. And this world will be just a memory. All the things that we thought brought us happiness and security, listen, they're going to be gone. They're going to be over. This whole world and everything in it is temporary. Even the relationships oftentimes, unfortunately, are temporary. But when we have that full eternal relationship through our Savior Jesus Christ and we have the riches in heaven at our disposal, listen, we have reason to rejoice I'm saved. I know that no matter what happens here, because I've trusted Christ, I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be with him. Not only that, but through faith in him, he walks with me and I can walk with him. I have fellowship with him now and I have him to help carry me through and bear me through these difficult times. So yes, rejoice in the Lord and we rejoice in the Lord because Jesus is our Savior. But he also says not to rejoice in the flesh. He says in verse 2, beware of dogs. You know, it's interesting, a Jew talking about dogs. Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs. And Paul here is a Jew. And I want you to notice as we finish reading this verse, 
He says, beware of dogs, beware of evildoers, beware of the mutilation. Now that word mutilation literally means a, a cutting. And what he's doing is he's pointing out the inadequacies of Judaism and circumcision to save. Now, Paul is a Jew, and Paul is not trying to condemn Judaism as a whole, but he's trying to condemn Judaism for what it had become by his time, a religion. Instead of trusting in the Messiah who would come and did come in Jesus, they were trusting in keeping the commandments and living a holy life. And all of those things are good, but they can't get you to heaven. One of those things they did was male circumcision. Paul said, if you're trusting in that in order to get to heaven, guys, he said, it's just nothing but mutilation. He says, for we believers in Jesus are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. In other words, our salvation and our worship doesn't depend upon our flesh and what we do with our flesh. It depends upon God and the spirit within us. He goes on to say in verse three, rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. So again, he reiterates rejoicing in Jesus Christ, and he's telling us that we are to not have confidence in the flesh. Rejoice in the Lord, not in the flesh, because you are not your Savior. There's nothing you can do to help God save you. There's nothing you can do to save you. Salvation is fully by grace, which is unmerited favor, by faith, trust, and reliance upon Jesus as your Savior. That is what salvation is. There's nothing I can do, nothing you can do to earn it. No matter how religious you know you are, no matter what sacrifices you've made, no matter what plans you have, or, or no matter what you've done or hope to do, you can never earn salvation. If you're trusting in your flesh, your efforts, your actions, you're not going. So that's why he tells us first, if we're going to lose our religion in a good way, we need to begin by rejoicing in the Lord and not in our flesh because Jesus is our Savior. And what about that flesh? Well, he tells us that we need to renounce the flesh. We need to renounce the flesh. In other words, we need to quit trusting in our flesh, the fleshly pursuits of religion, material things. He goes on and says in verse 4, he says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Now, here's what Paul's going to do. In order to help us to renounce the flesh, Paul is going to give his own personal example. Now, Paul, even if we did not know him through the New Testament, Paul was still someone who was very prominent in his day. He was very active in Judaism, very surrendered to his Judaism. As far as Judaism went and as far as being a Jew went, he strived to be the best and the highest. And he gives his personal example here. And he says, if anybody has confidence in the flesh, nobody more so than I. And then he gives personal evidence of that. He says in verse 5, circumcise the eighth day, just as the law demanded, of the stock of Israel. He was a Jew, not only by heritage, but by race of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, speaking again of his ethnicity, concerning the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the staunch religious Jewish conservatives of their day. And they made every effort to dot every I and jot every T and keep all the laws that they could. Of course, they weren't able to do that, but they, listen, they gave it the best effort. They even created laws to keep in order to make sure they had it covered. He said, concerning zeal, excitement, 
He said, I persecuted the church. He said, so no, not only was I a, a wonderful Pharisee and a Jew and a Hebrew, and I did everything I could to keep the law, I went after those who said the law couldn't save. I went after the upstart believers in Jesus. I went after the church because the church, in my mind, was an insult to my Judaism and to my Hebrew heritage. And said, he said, concerning righteousness, as we continue on, which is in the law, blameless. You know, Paul, of course, wasn't perfect, but as far as doing everything humanly possible to please and honor Yahweh, Jehovah God, he tried everything he could to keep the law and to be a good Pharisee, to be a good Jewish man. And listen, Paul said even those things, listen, if anybody could keep the flesh, I could, but yet he still renounced the flesh. Paul was a religious zealot. Paul would make even the best Baptist, the best, best Methodist, the best Presbyterian, Lutheran, whatever. He would make them look bad because he was the man. He was the big man on campus when it came to Judaism. And uh, that filled him with a tremendous amount of pride before he came to know Christ. Of course, we know Paul's story from the book of Acts where God had just knocked him off his horse. Jesus appeared to him and Paul received Christ as his personal savior and, and hit the ground running. Uh, he became one of the greatest missionaries, one of the greatest preachers, one of the greatest church planters of church history. And so Paul, man, he had reason to boast in his flesh. Hey, if anybody was gonna work their way to heaven, if anybody was gonna earn God's favor and earn a place in glory, Paul was going to do it. But Paul was renouncing the flesh. I want you to notice next, he said, I needed and we need to reorient our trust. You know, if, if heaven could be gained by works and by religion, uh, Paul was on his way. But he knew after he had found Jesus that none of his works, none of his religious zeal, none of the religious truths that he'd learned as a child would help him enter the kingdom would do nothing to enter the kingdom. But I want you to notice in verse 7, Paul had to, had to reorient his trust. Instead of trusting in his flesh, instead of trusting in his religious zeal, Paul had to reorient that. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, But what things were gain to me, these have I counted loss for Christ. He goes on to say, Yet indeed I also count all things loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Paul had to reorient his, his, his trust. He had to reorient what he, what he put his faith in. And before he put his faith in, in all of this religious gain, he was lining up gold stars. He was checking off brownie points. Man, he had a bank full of religious credit. But Paul's gain, as far as eternal salvation was concerned, was loss. It was loss. When he found Jesus Christ, he found the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And the moment Paul encountered the risen, living Savior, Jesus Christ, on that road to Damascus, everything that Paul had accomplished in his past was loss. What he thought was gain, what he thought was important, what he thought was in, uh, a, a treasure trove to earn heaven, it was now rubbish 
It was worthless. And he realized that. So Paul's gain was loss. It was lost so much so that he counted it as rubbish. Even after he had come to know Christ, he says, the excellence of the knowledge of my Lord and Savior, who are, he said, I've suffered many things since I came to know him. And Paul did. You should go through the book of Acts, go into uh, Galatians in the earliest chapters and read his, his, his personal autobiography of the trials he suffered, of the tribulations he endured, shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments. Oh my goodness, Paul suffered. And even now, as he is writing this letter, he is chained to a Roman soldier under house arrest. He is jailed. And he doesn't know what's coming the next day. He hopes to be delivered and rescued so he could go back to the Philippian people. But he doesn't know that. He has to trust in the Lord. But he said, all of these things, my freedom, my material possessions, my standing in the community, I've lost it all, but I've gained through knowing Jesus. He said, I count them all loss. I count them as rubbish that I may gain. And look at verse 9. And be found in him, who? Jesus not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The word faith, pastuo in the Greek, literally means to trust and rely upon something fully and completely or someone in this instance. He says, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. See, Paul's gain was loss, but then when Paul found Jesus Christ, Paul's loss, the loss of his freedom, the loss of material attachments, the loss of worldly affections, the loss of human prestige, all of these things were lost if it meant that he could focus on Christ as his Savior. It meant that he gained more than he'd ever lost. And these gains were not fleeting as earthly gains are. But listen, these gains are eternal. He's pushing treasure forward. He's sending treasure heavenly and heavenward. Paul's loss, the losses that he was experiencing now as a believer through the persecution he was experiencing by preaching the gospel, all of those things were loss, and Paul found gain in the knowledge of his Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, many of us right now, we're struggling with all of this quarantine, stay-at-home orders. We can't go here. We can't go there. Our lives have been upended. And people often ask, why, why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this? Is this the last days? You know, I don't know. Maybe. Is this a judgment from God? Maybe. But I tell you this, God is allowing it for some reason. And maybe that reason is so that he might pry our hands off of some things that we thought were important and thought mattered the world to us. And maybe he's causing us now to let go of those things and reach out to him, to embrace him. Oh my goodness, what joy that is when we let go of that which can never help us to begin with and we reach for our Savior who gives us help for eternity. So we gotta reorient our trust. We got to, Paul had to do it for salvation. We need to do it. Instead of trusting in our works, we reorient that and trust in Jesus as our Savior. But not only that, as we live as believers, we need to reorient our trust. Whatever we had gained before we were saved is lost in Christ. But listen, as we walk with Christ, as we follow Him, as we surrender our lives and place them on the altar, 
Whatever we lose in that, if we are focused on Christ, if we are drawing to Him and letting Him be our strength, our purpose, our reason for living, that's gain. And that's where we find joy. So Paul tells us, he says, first, we need to rejoice in the Lord. He needs to be the focus of our joy, not ourselves, not what we have and who we are. He tells us that we need to renounce the flesh. We need to quit trusting in our own works, our own religion. And just like everyday life, we need to quit trusting in our health, our material possessions, our prestige at our job or our family place or even our place in church. None of that matters. We need to renounce the flesh. And we need to reorient our, reorient our trust from, from our own efforts and, and material things around us to trusting in Jesus. Because listen, until we do that, all the gain that we have will one day be lost. But when we suffer loss for Jesus Christ, there's great gain. So we need to reorient our trust. And then finally, he says, once we come to that place, and each one of these is progressive, we begin by rejoicing in the Lord, finding joy and salvation in Him. We renounce our human ability to please Him or to serve Him in and of ourselves. We then reorient our trust from ourselves and our material works to Jesus Christ. And then after that, we received Him, we can reprogram our purpose. And that's what Paul is communicating to us here. He needs us to reprogram our purpose. Why are we living? Are we living for a paycheck? Are we living for uh, the pleasures and comforts of this life? <laughs> if you are, I, I, I guess right now you and I are pretty disappointed because a lot of those pleasures and a lot of those comforts are being drawn away from us because of this pandemic. But Paul says we need to reprogram our focus and our lives, Look, our purpose. Look what he says in verse 10. Here is his purpose now. Paul says, everything that I counted gain, I counted loss for Jesus Christ. Everything that I've known and loved since I received Christ has been lost, but I have gain in Him. And here is my purpose now. He says in verse 10, that I may know Him. That I may know Him. Now, this is not just talking about knowing about Him. You know, it's one thing to know about Jesus. Listen, there are a lot of atheists that probably know more about Jesus and the facts of His life and the, and the things that He did and taught I would imagine there are a lot of atheists that know more than the average Christian in the church knows, quite frankly, which is sad, but true. Listen, I've talked to many unbelievers and atheists and people of other belief systems that have quoted the gospel back to me better than I probably could have quoted it to them. You know, it's one thing to know about Jesus, yet it's altogether different to know Him. You know, when I first met Susan, my wife, and uh, I, I began to learn about her. I began to get to know her. You know, we got to know each other. I knew about her. I knew where she came from. I knew her family. I knew her parents. I knew what she was studying in college. And I began to know what she liked and disliked, favorite colors, foods, all of those things. But it wasn't until I entered into that marriage relationship that I gave her my life. I trusted in her as I gave her my life. And we became one flesh as we became married. Did I really get to know her, to know her in a deep and intimate way. And it's that way, the closer you draw to somebody, the more deeply you know them. And it's one thing to know about someone. Before I even started dating Susan, I knew about her. And then when I began to date her, I began to know more about her. But it wasn't until we got married and began sharing a life together that I began to truly know her. And boy, what a blessing she's been in my life.
And so, first of all, to reprogram your purpose, you and I need a deeper knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ, not just his facts about his life, not just the things that he did and the words that he said, but get to know him. And you do that by spending time in his word, spending time reading, because Jesus is God in the flesh. Same thing, if you want to know God the Father, get to know God the Son through God the Spirit. Three in one, one in three. And we do that through ingesting and, and, and drinking in his word and getting to know him and, and seeing how he responded and react to things, seeing how he handled situations, what he said, what he didn't say, getting to know him. I, I guarantee the average Christian doesn't know Jesus as deeply as we should. So we first start with a deeper knowledge of Christ. And that's, that's not something that happens in a 10-minute devotional as you're hurrying out the door in the morning. That happens by spending time in the Word and on your knees communicating him with Him, letting Him talk to you from the Scriptures and you talking to Him in prayer. Not only that, but a deeper knowledge, not only of the person of Christ, but a deeper knowledge of the power of Christ's resurrection. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. It's really Resurrection Sunday as we commemorate, celebrate, and rejoice over our risen Savior. But we need to have a deeper knowledge of the power of that resurrection. We know that He rose. We're excited that He rose. But the fact of the matter is the resurrection is powerful because it is bringing life out of death. It is bringing hope and a future and a horizon that is exciting. That's the power of the resurrection, not only in our salvation, but also resurrecting the things in our lives that are difficult as well. Even in this pandemic, we know that one way or another, we're going to rise out of it. We're going to come out of it. And even while we're going through it, we can rise above it because our Savior has been raised. He did not let sin and evil defeat Him, nor should we. Now, Paul here mentions two different aspects of resurrection. I want you to notice. He says, in the fellowship of his sufferings, which we'll get to in just a moment, he says, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, in verse, uh, verses 10 and 11, Paul uses the word resurrection twice. At least that's the way it seems in the English. But actually in the Greek, Paul uses two different words here. And I never noticed it till I really began to dig into this passage. The first word he uses in verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, speaks of that general resurrection from death unto life. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that he is the first fruits of they that rise. In other words, because Jesus rise, rose, rather through faith in him, we can rise. And so, yes, through faith in Jesus, one day I'm going to drop this mortal coil, this, this body, but I will rise and be with him. Why? How do I know that? Because he died for me, took the blame for my sin, was buried, and he rose again from the dead. And because he rose, one day believers in Christ will rise. But then he uses another word in verse 11. Same word in the English, resurrection, but this word literally is a different word. It means resurrection out of. To be raised not just up, but to be raised out of. One word, the first word is anastasis in Greek, but the second word used in verse 11 is ex-anastasis. The word ex means out of. You know, as I'm doing this, I can see the exit sign up on the door. That means exit from the Greek ek, out of, ex out of. 
And Paul here may be, we're not sure, it's hard to interpret, but Paul may be referring to the fact of the resurrection of the rapture catching the church out. Let me explain that. He says that I may know him in the, in the power of his resurrection. Then in verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the res resurrection from the dead. Now, at first blush, that looks contradictory. He already said, I, I know, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I know I'm going to heaven. I've got that solved because I'm not trusting my flesh. I'm trusting in Jesus. But then he says, I hope I attain to the resurrection as though he were hoping he'd make it, as though he were, he were hoping he were good enough. But that's not what he's saying. He is hoping that he would live long enough to experience the catching away of the church out of this dead world. You know, I, I did a sermon some years ago talking about the zombie apocalypse we're living in now. Because quite frankly, the, if a person does not know Jesus Christ, he or she is, according to Romans, dead in their trespasses and sins. They're the walking dead. If a person dies without Christ, they die in their sin. We don't receive eternal life till we receive Christ. Until we receive Christ, we are the walking dead. And this world is unfortunately and sadly filled with the walking dead. But when Christ blows the trumpet, as Paul relates in 1 Thessalonians 4, when Paul, rather God blows the trumpet and Christ shouts the voice of the archangel and the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise and then Paul tells us that we are who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. So we will rise up out of this old dead world. So it could be that Paul was hoping to live long enough to attain to the resurrection out of the dead. And that's what that word means, two different words. So Paul here was wanting to not only know and get the knowledge of the power of Christ's resurrection, because it has a bearing on our resurrection, but Paul was also longing and yearning for that home going. And Paul did ultimately go home, although he had to experience execution to do it. But nonetheless, whether by rapture or rupture, he still got to go home. Let's back up a minute because I want you to notice as we continue to talk about reprogramming our purpose, he says earlier in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. We need a deeper knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. We need to have a deeper knowledge of the power of his resurrection, both the general resurrection of the dead and the one day his calling us out of this dead world. But not only that, a deeper knowledge of the partnership in Christ's sacrifice. Paul was in prison because of the gospel. He was in prison because he partnered himself with the Savior who himself had suffered on our behalf. In other words, he bore the shame of the cross. And, and not only that, we think of the only, that's the only way he suffered. Listen, God took on flesh. He experienced, experienced all, the, all the things that a normal person experienced as far as the flesh is concerned. On nights when it was cold, he was chilly. On days when it was burning hot, he was sweating and uncomfortable. Maybe he got stung by a bee. Maybe he, he, hit a, he, he got his hands messed up doing carpentry work. He felt pain. He felt hunger in his stomach when he needed to eat. And all of those things he experienced. So God, who left the splendor and glories of heaven, experienced living as a human, and even as a human, as you and I well know, especially now, has its own set of ups and downs. So Jesus was the suffering Savior. And the Bible tells us that we enter into partnership with Jesus, but in order to do that, there involves sacrifice. 
It involves sacrifice, setting aside those things that we want to hang on to, setting aside those comforts, setting aside those dreams and desires that may not line up with the Word of God and the, and the hope of God. So therefore, we are, are supposed to, if we're going to reprogram our purpose, why are we living? We need to have a deeper knowledge of the partnership of Christ's sufferings. In other words, we need to emulate Him. You know, He even tells us if we're going to follow Him, we need to take up our cross. And the cross was a symbol of execution. A cross was a tool of condemnation. A cross was a definitive, tangible point of pain and agony. And Jesus took that for you and me. And if we're going to enter into partnership with Him and live for Him, yes, it's going to imply sacrifice, giving up something. But again, the loss is nothing compared to the gain. And so we need to get to know if we're going to reprogram our purpose and if we're really going to enjoy the, God, enjoy the joy rather that God has provided, then yes, we need to reprogram our purpose. We need to have a deeper knowledge of Him, the person of Jesus. We need to have a deeper knowledge of the power of His resurrection to pull us out and to pull us out. And we need to have a deeper knowledge of Christ's sacrifice. And we need to be willing to do that. We need to be willing to sacrifice no matter what it takes. And yes, some people have even died, and Paul did, for the sake of the gospel. I don't think we're going to be called to do that here, but I'll tell you, your brothers and sisters, even as I speak, are dying all over the world and sacrificing for Jesus Christ. We in America, we've had it pretty good. We in America, we've had it pretty easy, pretty comfortable. You know, we're rattled right now by this coronavirus. There are a lot of things that we have to sacrifice. But understand this, I'm hoping through all this, we come out to be a better, stronger, vibrant church. And I hope we'll be more ready to sacrifice certain things in order to see the gospel of the kingdom go forth. So again, just to review, in order to really lose our religion, which is what we want to do for salvation, we want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It begins by rejoicing in the Lord. He is my Savior. I can't save myself. I can't do it. Because, you know, I'm not the Savior. He is. And we need to renounce the flesh. We need to say, you know what? There's nothing in me, nothing on this earth that can help me draw nearer to God. It is my faith in His Word. And Paul renounced, hey, nobody could be more religion or, religion rather, or, religious rather, or zealous than Paul. We have his personal example. And we have his, the evidence of his religious zeal. But even Paul was not good enough to earn heaven or to please God by himself. He had to renounce the flesh. He needed to reorient his trust from what was lost, the fleshly pursuits, to what was gained, the pursuit of Christ. And then reprogram, he reprogrammed his purpose, so much so that he wrote this letter sitting in a Roman prison, sitting chained to a guard because he preached Jesus and partnered with Jesus in his suffering. So the bottom line is this. Christianity is not a religion. Now, we can do religious works within Christianity, but those won't save us. Christianity is not a religion. It's not an effort to gain God's favor. God has already shown us His favor, His grace, which is unearned and unmerited. Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship. You know, in Islam, they don't have a relationship with Allah. As a matter of fact, to say that you're partnered with Allah or that you're akin to Allah. You know, we're the children of God through Jesus Christ. A Muslim cannot say that. He or she would be accused of something called shirk, 
which is shirk is, is the absolute sin in Islam, saying that I am somehow partnered with or a part of Allah's family. No, they don't do that. It's all about obedience. Allah is a transcendent sheikh, a transcendent uh, being and has nothing. He doesn't love humanity, nor does he care whether humanity loves him. He doesn't want a relationship with his followers, but God wants a relationship with us through Jesus Christ. A relationship not based on human energy and effort, but based on the grace of Almighty God, realized on the cross of Christ. You say, Pastor, what does all this have to do with Palm Sunday? Well, on Palm Sunday, we reflect upon the cross. And it is the cross of Jesus Christ that has bought salvation. It is the cross of Christ and the resolved, uh, this whole situation resolved in the resurrection of Christ. Yes, this is a Palm Sermon, Palm Sunday sermon, even though we didn't go per se to the Gospels. But we focused on Jesus as the Savior. We focused on His saving work on the cross that our flesh could never attain to. So, at the end, when in doubt, when your flesh fails you, and it will, and it has, it's failed me. I mean, let's face it, we're all struggling right now. Struggling to make ends meet, struggling to understand this, struggling to get through it. Flesh is going to fail us. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. And when I say the cross, look to the empty cross because Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. He died on that cross. They took him off the cross. They buried him. They thought they were done with him. Oh my goodness. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And he rose from the dead as our only hope and true source of joy. So yes, take up your cross. Follow him. Focus on the cross. Go back this Sunday and read this week as you finish. Go read, for instance, the Gospel of Mark, chapters 11 through 16. Chapter 11, starting with the triumphal entry. Read the whole picture and see how that relates to this passage that we looked at. And let the cross be the center and focus of your life. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, Jesus took that cross for you. On that cross, he died and he took the blame for the sins you and I could never be good enough to have forgiven. He took the blame for all that we'd done wrong. He paid the debt. He endured the punishment and that punishment was death. He died for your sin, past, present, and yes, sins that you haven't even committed yet. He died for those. He was buried and rose again from the dead and he is alive today to give salvation and freedom to all who would come to him confessing their sin, admitting their inability to save themselves, and casting their full faith and confidence in Jesus. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I beg you this morning, please place your faith and trust in Him. Please accept His free gift of salvation, and then you'll have a relationship with Him. You can begin to walk with Him, and He walks with you, and you'll begin to reorient your trust and reprogram, re reprogram your life, and you will have true purpose and true joy. God bless you. I love you. I cannot wait until we gather together again. But until then, may God keep you safe. 
Take care of yourselves and we'll see you soon. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ, Lord, that demonstrates to us that our flesh is not good enough. We could die on a thousand crosses and not be good enough. But you, God in the flesh, came and died on the cross. You who had not sinned, you who had no sin to pay for, paid for mine, paid for those who are listening and watching. And Father, you, 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 you rose Jesus from the dead and now he's alive and lives to give salvation. Father, thank you for that. May we find true joy in him as we seek to be people with a purpose, people who have Jesus as a purpose. Bless us. Bless us today. Give us a good day, we pray. Keep us safe in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and take care.